when should I change the tool? Is it based off the quality of the part? Is it based off the way the machine feels? Is it based off of maybe a temperature thing I'm dealing with? Maybe chip wrap? Lots of different influences on the frequency of the tool life. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's show is Benjamin York. Benjamin's company, Theory 168, makes a product called Tool Life that collects and analyzes data on machine tools to optimize efficiency in machine shops. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to have Benjamin York, owner and CEO of Theory 168. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Noah. It's great to be back. It's great. It's great. I mean, the first time was, you know, really cool because we were in person, but this is still great via Zoom. Benjamin, uh, the last time told me about a camera he developed for adjusting machines, Swiss machines in particular, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the alignment of them, more importantly. Right. Yep. The alignment. Yeah. And he's just an innovative, passionate, inventive person. And I really wanted to have him back on the show. So today we're going to talk about a new thing that your company is doing, statistical process control. Before we get to that, I want you to just summarize Theory 168, the products you guys do, what you're all about. And then I'll get a, a little bit scoop on your story. And then we'll break into some of the new interesting things you're working on. So just in a nutshell, what does Theory 168 do? Thanks, Noah. So I think our greatest attribute is developing and bringing together experience and technology in the machining world. Our main focus of the products that we build in Theory 168 all revolve around um, how we can optimize the machining process. And like we've talked about before, take the art out of machining you know, um, to me, as, as an experienced machinist, I really like the ability to scientifically attack its uh, problems and not fight with what I was originally taught when I uh, learned machining about ghosts in the machine. 
<laughs> there's no ghosts in the machine. There's some mysteries at times, but for the most part, like I want to, I want to build some math and science into it so I can figure it out because I can't just tell my boss that. Well, if there was a ghost in the machine, would it be more likely for the ghost to be in the computer part of the machine or the mechanical part of the machine? I or think are there just no ghosts, period? It's really the mystery of what we can't solve. You know, there are so many variables. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff that we work on in this world right now really tests our abilities. They can be, uh, we can really struggle with certain types of problems. And specifically in Swiss machines, we run into issues that mm -hmm. are hard to identify the root cause. I mean, I know from our business, our machinery business, like particularly some, and it, you'd think a mechanical machine, you wouldn't have this problem, but we get these machines and I mean, yeah, granted, they might be 40 years old or something, but sometimes there's a reason that somebody got rid of a machine. It's like a lemon, like a car right. or whatever. They couldn't figure it out. I kind of think of it as the crappy go-kart. You know, you go to the go-kart track yeah. and there's always one go-kart that's not as fast as the rest. Nobody wants to ride that one. And your attitude is that's BS. Like if you just go at this from a rational point of view, you're going to make it work as it should. Correct. Although there are issues at times that we just can't figure out why. So we got to dig deeper and we got to challenge ourselves. I consider it a challenge when I find that. Right. You're not into coming up with like hacky solutions, you know, a, a bandaid here or there to make it function. It depends how tall the fire is. Right. So, you know, like if we've got a major situation and the main goal is just to get the parts to the customer, yeah. Well, sometimes we got to do what we need to do to make that happen. But ultimately, I'm all about trying to identify the root cause and fix it for the long term. Mm -hmm. So you have a background in being a consultant, correct? Correct. Yep. Since 2009. Since 2009. And before that, you worked in a shop? Yep. Multiple different shops. I started working with my dad when I was a little kid. How little? Four. Right around four or five, I kind of went out to the shop and I would sweep and pretty much get in his way. And then after that, like it, it just kind of stuck. I was out in the shop a lot and uh, helping my dad with stuff and learning ultimately. What was one of the most important things you learned from your dad? What we do during the day, how it affects the kitchen table. Ah. Yeah, I, I uh, got a good relationship between how things are going through the day and like, what does that kitchen table look like? You know, is, is dad there at the kitchen table or is he still working because we didn't get, get the work done, you know? And oh, okay. So you weren't talking about earning the, the bread. You're talking about if he was at the kitchen table. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and, you know, the decisions being made moving forward, like, how does that enable time? You know, that's a big thing to me. You know, it, it's and it really correlates where I think industry is today, where we look at how can we utilize this equipment? Most shops are, are fairly underutilized and they'll be mm -hmm. probably the first to admit it. Yet they're still looking at trying to gain, you know, more more equipment and more people. Yet we still got room within the 
the current base of equipment that they may have to do more. Do you have metrics on how underutilized a shop is? Like what, what to what their potential they are? We, so no, we built a tool to actually do that. Right. And that was one of the things we were going to talk about today. Right. Right. And it's called tool life. Yeah. It's called tool life. Yep. It's a web-based software. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always wanted the idea of having some sort of tool that I could collect as much information in one place. So I could really have the best decision or I could make the best decision on how to move forward to utilize the 168 hours that we're given a week because we don't get any more than that. So that's the, that's why you have the theory 168. Correct. Correct. I love that idea of we have a certain block amount of time and we got to make every moment count. So this is about utilizing people's time in the shop as much as possible. Yeah. And there's a greater aspect to that. That's most important to me is how to make the job easier. So Hmm. it's not about how do we get more hours out of our people? How do we make their job easier? So we make the technology work for us. Okay. I feel like we talked about this in the past where you, you said you could hire people that maybe didn't have the same skills that they had acquired over time as the 30 year veteran machinist. Certainly. So it definitely seems like in the U S and probably across the world, but certainly in the U S we have a situation where it's hard to find highly skilled employees and highly experienced employees. So we need to bring people into our, our companies that, don't have the full skill set as our lead people or set up people or prototype people. And so instead of trying to fight with that and trying to bring people up to speed as quick as possible, I think that it's more important to try to go with it, kind of surf the wave and try to give them lesser experienced people tools that makes their job easier. And they'll naturally gain the skill sets as they're in industry. I'm all for more training. I think that is awesome. I do a lot of training in my consulting business, but it takes time and it takes experiences to learn how to yeah. how to do this tough work that we're doing in the industry today. Yeah, and to me it seems like you know you talk to people from some of the most successful companies and they say I don't hire people necessarily for their experience. I just hire people because they seem like great brilliant people and then the rest will take care of itself. So to me, that that's what it seems like. Cause I meet people and they go, yeah, I just want to train my own people because I don't like the way they've done it over there. Or, you know, you wonder why this person's available. <laughs> right. And you can fix issues before they even start. You know, if you teach your own group with great attitudes, hire on attitude first, yeah. If you train them internally within, um, they're going to adopt your culture. They're going to see the way that that company does things. And um, I think that is way more valuable than trying to find um, experienced people. Now, granted, there's always room for experienced people and yeah. machining, but they're hard to find. 
Yeah, as I as I asked before, what can you tell me what percent productivity people are actually getting their potential productivity? Yeah, so you know, from a consulting standpoint, I have a gut feel, but it's you know, it's a lot more of just grazing the surface of watching employees work, watching processes happen, watching the machine uh, run, looking at some numbers. But what I what I've identified for some time now is it's completely impossible for my non-photographic brain to collect all that information and come up with really solid mathematical science. Okay. And so at that point, I realized, Noah, the only real way I could do that is if I put everything on a computer and electronically gathered it. Yeah. And when I started doing that, I started realizing, wow, there is so much more we could do with this once we start collecting that much data in one place. It always bugged the heck out of me that at the end of my shift, when I was a full-time machinist on the floor, that I would put notes into a notebook Mm -hmm. or I might fill out documentation, um, handwritten into a tool uh, life log. And I would always question to myself, what do we do with this after the first or second shift? It gets lost. And unfortunately, that's some of the most valuable information. Yeah. On the flip side, at least you reflected on it. That's what I find. Even I try to write about every single day. And I mean, do I go back and read it all? No, but at least like you have it in your mind. But yeah, it's true. It's such a pity. You come up with this stuff and somebody else could use it or you even you yourself could use it the next day. Mm-hmm. So now tell me, tell me what tool life does. Yeah. So the big picture outlook of tool life is we did exactly that. We built a platform to collect all the different types of data that we are normally writing down through the day or somehow collecting through our normal machining processes. Uh, For example, quality, tool changes, notes on the machine, offsets, just to name a few. And what we did is we built a platform to collect all that and allow the the computer to allow the, the technology of software and cloud databases to analyze all that for us mm-hmm. and feedback really solid root cause and suggestions on how we can improve what we're doing, which is something we've never been able to do before. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different types of tools out there that feedback analytics. Right. I know there's machine metrics, there's um, you know various ERP systems. Mm-hmm. And this has some similarities, but it's got its own distinct properties, I'm assuming. Right. What's the hardware like? Just so people can can picture this. Is it something that like connects to the control? Is it something? Yep. Wi-Fi? So it's a four by four box, Noah, and we call it our weather station. It's a machine weather station. And we connect this box via magnets to the machine. It just kind of snaps onto the machine. It's Wi-Fi, so the only other thing it needs is an outlet to plug into. 
Hmm. From there, it's collecting all kinds of information about the machine and the, the environment of the machine. And it's feeding it back into our web-based cloud. Okay. Okay. And if you were to purchase one of these, you'd buy one, you sell them like one for each machine? Correct. Yep. Couldn't you connect a whole bunch of machines to one since it's all Wi-Fi anyways? Um, it needs the localized box for each machine because there's specific data it's grabbing about that machine. So we may be grabbing some vibration data about the bar feed. We might be grabbing uh, four different inputs of temperature. Um, lots of, we might be grabbing the cycles. They're all unique to that machine. So the machine is the first separation point on where we're gathering data. So... Yeah. How does it gather data about the temperature or the vibration? You're saying because it's on the machine, it's doing that? Yep. And we're using a, a pretty large variety of sensors. Oh, okay. Yep. So we're utilizing that sensor uh, capability and um, layering that in with all the other data that we're grabbing. Okay. And it's called Tool Life because this was one of the first puzzles you guys were trying to solve how to get better tool life why is tool life so important that you would call it that it's the most unique feature that separates us out from other machining monitoring systems okay so a lot of monitoring systems they capture um cycle time they capture uptime downtime um some operator input and and a few other things all important but um, there's some key things when I'm standing in front of a machine, I ask myself, how do I take the art out of this? And one of the arts to me is figuring out the frequency of tool life. When should I change the tool? Um, is it based off the quality of the part? Is it based off the way the machine feels? Is it based off of maybe a temperature thing I'm dealing with, maybe chip wrap? Lots of different influences on the frequency of the tool life. From there, um, we need to try to figure out when do we want to have a set rate to change that tool. Okay. So it's on the machine and it says, I don't know, what is it? What is the, I should probably know this, but what's the range of tool life on a, a specific cutting tool? Are we talking like a week or a month or it ranges from a week to a month, depending on how expensive and quality it is? No, that's a great question, Noah. And that's ultimate. That's the ultimate question. When we design a job or as engineers, we're processing the job and getting the programming ready and selecting the tools and figuring out how we're going to make the part. We're most likely going to have to try to identify to the operator when they should be really watching the uh, tool life and de determining when they should pull the tool out of the machine. So we got to come up with a frequency. I've worked on jobs that it was one insert edge per part. And I've worked on jobs that the insert lasted longer than four weeks, you know, and it could be end mills. It could be inserts. It could be all kinds of different types of tools, but we give a best guess off our experience. And then we have to monitor it for several weeks to make sure that the process is capable at that rate. From there, we might try to decide, do we optimize it or not? And that's where our uh, system really comes in because it helps 
that the the machinist or the engineer identify the best point on where to change the tool at. Um, one thing that's really hard to capture out at the machine is cost. You know, if I change the tool at 100 parts versus 150, that last 50 parts may have a lot of risk and quality. It may require a lot of the operator's time and ultimately is going to really influence the cost and the predictability of that process. Mm-hmm. So it might make more sense to change it early. We clearly in our system identify the best point to change the tool based off um, lots of different layered aspects that we're looking at. Okay. Cost being one of them. But then, but it all also comes down to which one you start with, you know, do you start with the expensive one or the inexpensive one and, and then test that. Right. I guess you have an extra variable. Like, do you have to say you're trying to get the best tool life? Do you put in the cheap one first and see how that works and then put in the expensive one? So we thought about that too, Noah, and we built the ability to and have the ability with with the cloud style process that we use to be able to look at the past history of all the tools that ran in our shop and we can look at multiple different parts that they may have ran on and now we have a pretty good idea of how that tool is going to run and how many minutes it's going to be able to work in this particular type of material So now all of a sudden, now they got a database that they can go through a history of how did that tool work in other areas of the shop and get at least a starting point. Right. But first you have to gather that data of stuff in the shop and that shop may not have gathered that data in the first place. They didn't. There is definitely a couple weeks of startup that the, our system has to get smart. So and as it's used, the more it's used, the smarter it gets. That's the way it, basically AI works is it's taking in more and more information and coming up with conclusions from that information. An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice, but if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. All right, so give me the scenario. Um, I have a machine machining company. I'm running some citizens um, and some mills and, uh, you know maybe 20 machines. I say, all right, I'll try your tool life. How does the whole thing start? What, what, give me the, the whole like process of implementing it. You bet. So the box just basically snaps onto the machine or it could be screwed onto the machine. And then from there, um, the sensors get put in uh, a couple particular places. But I thought you said you have to get measure metrics for the whole shop we do but if we're just talking about um the first step of the implementation okay each machine we first mount the box and that is then capable of collecting quite a bit of different um temperature information and vibration information 
The next step is, is we go to the software and we load up the, our job. So what I mean by that is we give it a little bit of costing information. We lay out the process. And then from there, it's got the, the, the process has basically been defined what tools we might use. And we develop some baseline frequencies on when things should happen. And now at that point, the uh, job can be set up and start to be ran. And all this data is being collected. And there's a operator page that is reflecting what's going on as they run the job. They will also interface with the software. They may tell the software when um, uh, they did an inspection or they may have checked the filters in the coolant or when they've done a tool change. And over the course of the first week, it's collecting all that information and it's getting smart. From there, it's starting to feed back where it thinks analytically things could work better and we could get more throughput a week. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that just keeps on snowballing more and more. And as we place this on more machines, we might be using a particular insert on different jobs. And um, now we are collecting information, not only on one job, but multiple jobs, and we can place them all against each other to see how Mm. they're working. So it sounds like you really aren't going to get that much out of this if you only put it on one machine. Right. The more you have you to have, it, you have to have some other point of comparison. That definitely helps. The more it's used, the smarter it gets. Are you also getting data from other things that the shop may give you? Yep. We're tracking uh, live attendance on the operators. So we've come up with this really cool ability, Noah, that we can watch if the customer chooses um, the operator, they can watch where the operators are in the shop. Cause that's the big, that, I mean, you know, I interviewed machine metrics and what they said was one of the most important things is where the hell is the operator? Like most of the, you know, mm-hmm. half the productivity just comes from the operator, not even being at the machine. Right. We want to understand attendance. And not only attendance on that particular machine, but maybe on the support equipment too. So then we can understand do we, where our bar, bottlenecks are in our company. And, you know, maybe uh, where we need to have, we could instantly see ROI and maybe we need another CMM. Maybe we need to uh, move these machines all closer because we're losing a lot of time walking from one end of the shop to the other. Interesting. So we call it Shop Map 168, and it's an add-on to our product, and it's really awesome. You can see where everybody is in the shop, and it tracks, and it also analytically feeds back how could we make this more efficient. And is that, in your studies, the number one? The most important thing is organization. So, and that's... That's all of it. So organizing the the metrics and how we're measuring, organizing the process, organizing our workspace, organizing, um, just organizing it all. From there, the next part of it is capability. How are we measuring the capability of the process? 
And statistically, we can do that. And we have been doing that for a long time. But generally, we only look at the quality of the part. Yeah. We look at the reaction. And we may not be able to quickly identify where our, our problems are at. And that's why I wanted to build something that was a lot more live. I could identify quickly um, as soon as problems start to develop where they're at and what I need to do to fix them. Interesting. Okay. So once you figure out what to do to fix it, I'm assuming, you know, the significant folk at the company, maybe the machinists as well, they all have a huddle and try to figure out where to go from there. Do they usually know what to do or do you guys come in and help them figure out the right process to fix it? Well, so that was part of this noise. I wanted to build basically a consultant in a box, me in a software. So we feedback suggestions. But one thing I've definitely identified is if we can realize the root cause to an issue, most machinists understand a solution to that. They, the, the solution isn't the tough part. It's understanding the root cause. And once we understand the root cause, the solutions I feel are a lot easier to come by. Okay. So the solution, solutions are relatively easy to come by. Then how difficult is it to change somebody's behavior in what you've seen so far? So one big part I of find this, out things about myself all the time, weaknesses. I even find out the origin. And then there's so many damn things I'm trying to fix and, you know, everything it's hard to get me to do it. So are you guys helping management or you give these people the tools and they figure it out? Do you have any data at this point? I mean, it's a pretty, pretty new product, but what, what's your hypothesis about how, how likely are people actually going to change behavior? And that's like the hardest thing to make anybody do change behavior. Well, money does that, right? <laughs> You know, the bottom line, Getting you know, fired. So yeah. if we're looking at a process and we realize that there is opportunity in the process, I think it becomes pretty clear to everyone uh, what we need to do to fix it. Then from there, I, I've always thought of us as machinists, Noah, as race car drivers. The majority of us, we try to push the process as hard as we can and make it as fast as possible. It's in our nature. Okay. Like we want to make that machine. They're Lamborghinis. I think of them as high-end cars, you know? So people are motivated. They're willing to do relatively painful things to get them. These aren't sort of apathetic folk. They want to they wanna go as fast as possible and they're willing to make sacrifice. More than any other industry I've ever been in, I'm constantly watching it. It seems like the manufacturing industry I've never been around such a group of people that strive so hard to make things as, as optimal as possible. That's interesting. Required in our blood to be in this industry, I believe. And that starts at the bottom. You don't have to go to the person at the top with a whip saying that's not good enough. Like you think if you give the person on the machine that knowledge, they're often going to take care of it themselves. I agree. They're going to definitely try. They're going to try everything in their power to do that. Yep. 
that makes it a lot more satisfying for you thinking that you're going to give people this information and they're actually going to use it. Right. And greater tools to gain more information. It's the information age. The more we can have, the, the stronger we are, I feel. Are, are, are you often trying to figure out like systematically how you could alter your own workflow like this? Or, or, or is it different when it's coming up with ideas versus being on a machine? I think there definitely is times where when we're trying to innovate or create within the company based off a dream or an idea, there are times that I think structure inhibits that from growing Mm -hmm. that idea from growing. Um, If there's too much structure, we build too many parameters and it, it doesn't allow us to really reach and challenge as far as we could um, possibly go. But also internally, um, we've brought in different types of project management softwares to gain structure. So one of the things that seems like it's important to me is trying to figure out when we don't have parameters and we just allow the ideas to flow. And then when we need to reel it back in um, to, to have some sort of concentrated direction. What's something interesting that you learned in the last week in the last week it doesn't have to doesn't have to be related to machining it could be about anything you know i guess one thing uh for sure is uh (laughs) just trust everything's gonna be okay (laughs) everything's gonna be okay it doesn't always seem like it in the middle but it definitely seems like just trust that we, we all care. We all care about like. What taught you this though? Why did you, what, what, what inspired this thing that you've learned? Or is this more something you've observed? I think it's what I've been observing and it's really the last year. I mean, it's really just keeps on fulfilling itself that we're all, we all care about trying to do the best we can. And we're all trying to be better humans. Right. And some on both sides would argue, you know, that the other people aren't trying to be the best people that they're trying to be the worst people on both sides. And it could be, but in the end, like it takes all of us to figure all that out. We don't not no singular person gets to figure all that out. We all got to do it. Is there anything else you want to say to the people of the world? Hey, I got tons, Noah. Um, I guess the biggest thing is, is I think this is going to be a big year of uh, gratitude. Happy with what we got. And, uh, Mm -hmm. And also looking forward. I think that's a big part of it. Looking forward and how can we make life a little bit more fun? You know, because dang, I mean, really, there's been some things over the last year that have really sucked bad. And uh, I think 2021 is the year of us having more fun and, and enjoying what we do, you know, whether it be at home or at work or, or anywhere in between, like just enjoying it more. I love that. I, I, I agree. I hope that other people, that that dawns on other people. I think, I think maybe I'm analyze this. I must analyze this a lot more than other people. I, you know, I'm just constantly thinking about like, man, I only have so many days left and I only have so many times where I'm like a young 
vibrant 40 some year old like before long i'll be like retiring and be getting arp and like you better just savor every little moment of the day because i don't know where the last 15 years went you know right i got the same yeah well good it seems like you you i see that with you i think we have that in common that it's just trying to slow down. I mean, I think it's a little ironic that, well, maybe it's not, you know, the name of your company, 168 hours in a week. So you're saying, how can we maximize these 168 hours? Yeah, in all ways. And how can we make technology work for us? You know, I mean, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. Me moving into 2021 is what is out there that I can use so I can have more time with my friends and family. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. <laughs>